Good evening, ladies and gentlemen, and welcome to Slow Motion Triple Feature, a podcast in which three friends watch three movies over the course of three weeks. Each month, we'll have a different friend selecting a different triple feature for their friends to enjoy and discuss. Slow Motion Triple Feature is one of the many fine podcasts brought to you by the American Friend Institute. Kit, could you tell us a little bit more about the American Friend Institute? Sure, Mike. The American Friends Institute is an organization that honors the heritage of the motion picture arts. We produced educational podcasts about film, including Adam Sandler, Life in Pictures, and have curated a jury-selected list of the 100 greatest films of all time. The American Friend Institute was founded out of our mutual disgust that The Exorcist was not on the American Film Institute's list of 100 greatest movies. It's also not on our list because no one nominated it. I think we all probably thought someone else would do it. So, no exorcist, but Tommy Boy did squeak in at number 100. According to the American Friend Institute, Tim Burton is the greatest director of all time, and the three best films in cinema history all came out in a one-year period between 1981 and 1982, (laughs) two of them starring Harrison Ford. Thank you. And now on with the show. Good morning, ladies and gentlemen, and welcome to Slow Motion Triple Feature, where we regularly reference 90s TV shows and the points don't matter. I'm your host, Mike <laughs> Keller, and tonight I'm joined by my good friends, Kit and Andrew. Uh, this being our inaugural episode, uh, we're going to do some quick little introductions of ourselves, and then we will get on with the show. Uh, so as I said, I, my name is Mike. Uh, we said we're going to do our three favorite films. Uh, I, I yes, think... to, to let you know a little bit about who we are, Okay, we're going to say our three favorite movies. Um, I think... 2001 A Space Odyssey and Gremlins are pretty regularly my top uh, two. Um, I think at the moment I would throw, uh, since it's a Ridley Scott kind of night, let's throw Blade Runner in there. Uh, That'll be my number three. Nice. Uh, How about you, Kit? Um, I'm in a similar situation where Pee-wee's Big Adventure and When Harry Met Sally are, are pretty much always in rotation. And then for my third... Today, I'm going to say The Jerk. Wow. Nice. Very nice. Andrew, uh, what would you say that your three favorite films are today? Um, so my first favorite film is and always is Writers of the Lost Ark. Mm-hmm. Um, and then I think, I think for today, my second two favorite films... Uh, just look through all those real quick <laughs> yeah i've got a i've got i've got a giant uh uh rack of movies behind me so i am going to semi-arbitrarily pick uh lethal weapon and wow i love lethal weapon it's not my it's not it's it's on any given it's not my favorite it's not one of my favorite three movies. you know what here we go uh the thing and Back to the Future. Very nice. All Interesting. Very films. Well, all yep. and you know, Raiders, Blade Runner, and The Thing are the top three films of all time, according to the American <laughs> Friend Institute. Then we're consistent. Are they really? Yeah. Oh, 
Awesome. All right. Um, so uh, we're going to start off our triple feature. So this month, Kit selected the triple feature. Yes. And this was somewhat collab. I think there was some crossover, but probably in the name of me not getting to go again for another two months, I'm taking ownership of it. And I guess the theme is movies where Tom Cruise has pretty long hair. Because like <laughs> the first one is the longest hair he's ever had in film, as far as I know. And that is today's film legend. Um, Wait, so do you mean, do you mean, do you mean pretty comma long hair or pretty long hair? Both. Okay, cool. Um, so yes, Legend <laughs> is the first film. Very then, important uh, point of clarification. It, it makes a difference. Then another film where he has long hair, but the only film I can think of where he has blonde hair, right? Uh, uh, yeah. I mean, his hair's like gray and collateral, right? Oh yeah. Yeah, it's like yeah, it's okay. like a, like salt and pepper. Right. Okay. So that our next film, um I think our next film because I think we're going in like chronological order right. will be inter- interview with the vampire, mm-hmm. which okay, Mike, you've never seen, right? No, I never have. I've seen okay, uh, so. pieces on TV. I've never seen the full film. And that's my main inspiration for this theme is that I really wanted to watch Interview with the Vampire again um, and have Mike watch it. And then our final film um, where his hair's not really that long is (laughs) Eyes Wide Shut. It's pretty long, though. It's not. um, It's not. Sometimes it's it's certainly not Minority Report or Collateral or what else? Jerry Maguire. It's longer so, than that. T- Tom Cruise has two. He has two types of movies. He has movies where his hair is like really short, and mm-hmm. movies where his hair is shaggy too long. I gr- I agree with that. I agree. I think there's yes, floppy haired Tom mm-hmm. Cruise, and then there's like serious, like buzz cut, militaristic and- kind of Tom Cruise. And there was like a time I feel like uh, in like the early two thousands where he was like going back and forth. Yeah, I agree. Well, I mean, yeah, I think he... we can maybe track that through the nineties because, like, in Mission Impossible and Jerry Maguire's hair is quite short, but in Magnolia and um, what's the, an interview, although that's a wig, it's long. So, and you're then right, like, you're right. I feel like Magnolia is probably the first time I noticed him with long like just like i i hadn't seen any of his older movies where he had long hair more regularly Mm -hmm. and so i feel like i feel like magnolia was the first time i saw tom cruise with with long hair but i I also i like legend that's not all his real hair magnolia i believe it is and that i believe would be the longest natural hair he's ever had on film or longest entirely natural hair he's ever had on film it should be noted humble listener that uh this was uh Early on, this was going to be just a Tom Cruise podcast where we watched all of Tom Cruise's films. Uh, but uh, not every triple feature will feature only uh, Tom Cruise. <laughs> just probably the first two. <laughs> yeah, possibly. <laughs> and and we will probably still talk about Tom Cruise. Yeah, most of the most he, of the time. He's kind yeah. of the foundation of our friendship. I would say so. is li- say. is liking Tom Cruise. We all aspire to be like him in some different way. Yeah, what way do you aspire to be like him, Mike? I do all my own stunts. <laughs> and Andrew? I try to keep my thetans at a manageable number. 
<laughs> All right. Shall we launch into legend? Right, does the mm-hmm. audience uh, have a good idea of uh, who we are? And uh, probably not, us? but okay. <laughs> definitely not. Um, well, uh, well, we'll get started anyways. Um, so tonight's film, as Kit said, is legend. Uh, the dreamy, impressionistic adult fairy tale from 1985, 1986, or 2011, depending on which cut you watch. <laughs> uh, the film was directed by Ridley Scott and stars Tom Cruise, Mia Sarah, Tim Curry, David Bennett, and Billy Barty. Um, the screenplay was by William Hortzberg, Hort- I guess. I'm not sure how that would be said. Um, Hortzberg. Hortzberg. Yeah. Hortzberg. Um, <laughs> and then, yeah, I've got a little bit more on the crew. Uh, but we could probably get into that when we do uh, just our thoughts on the film. Do, Kit, would you like to start us off with your thoughts, or do you guys want to jump into that now, or do you want to do... Okay, I'll... Before? Sure. Um, okay. Just stop me if I'm actually saying me, too much. Let me stop yeah. you right there. <laughs> that was um, quick. Have you... Uh, let's, let, uh, when we all start our thoughts on it, say, our I histories. guess, had we seen it before or not. Yeah. Right. Well, yes. I mean, I would say one of the things that really got this podcast off the ground, I think, is the fact that I'd never heard of Legend. Like, wow. I didn't know that Legend existed. I didn't know there was a movie where Tom Cruise is in shorts the whole time and has super long hair and his original <laughs> teeth. And when I looked up, uh, you know, did a Google image search, I was like, I need to watch this very soon. And I think that was sort of part of what got the ball rolling of like, let's schedule this now. Um, so and yeah, we've been I, talking I, about Tom Cruise for like five years straight now. Yeah. Like every day. We oh, talk yeah. about Tom Cruise. Yeah. And this somehow. No, went under somehow, radar. somehow the movie where he's like a forest sprite and <laughs> arguably like at his most pure form of hotness, I had never heard of. Um, with Sloan from Ferris Bueller. Isn't that her name in that movie? Uh, yeah. Who's also like super hot for a girl. So <laughs> for, like, for a girl. <laughs> yeah. And Tim Curry. That's amazing. Um, Although yeah, I did and not I, recognize, I, if I didn't know that was Tim Curry, I would not recognize him at all. I know. Well, movie. they lowered his voice to the point that he sounds yeah. like James Earl Jones. And then the makeup is like, but but you know what the so I was looking at it and I was talking to Lee about it my husband we were watching it together and I was asking like are you sure that that's actually Tim Curry behind the makeup or is it just his voice and Lee was like no that's Tim Curry and then right at that moment he like opened his mouth and I could tell by how wide he could open his mouth that it was Tim Curry <laughs> <Yeah>. <laughs> um who is great by the way I guess we'll talk more about that I thought he was fan fucking tastic as he always is um what was your initial impression Actually, um, also, what cut did you watch? I watched the director's cut because that's what you guys watched, and I didn't want to watch a different movie f- from what you guys okay. saw. Um, Friends stick together. Yeah. It's more just I didn't want to be even more confused than I am no, <laughs> by having you guys like talk about basically a different plot or a different ending or whatever. It's like three endings to this movie. I was trying um, to build on like a friendship theme for the Friend Institute. Yeah, sure. Um, yeah, and it was because I'm friends with you. Um, (laughs) um, I thought my initial impression is that it looks amazing um, and also extremely unique. I don't I haven't seen a ton of fantasy movies from the 80s. Like I'm not into 
labyrinth or never ending story or like any of that kind of stuff really so I guess I don't have a lot to compare it to other than like the princess bride which basically looks like a tv movie but this looked incredible immediately I was like it seems like this has to be on a sound stage because of how strange the light was but I mean that's one of my favorite things is outdoor like on a soundstage in film. Um, Sleepy Hollow has the same thing, and you just don't see it that much anymore. And so that was really exciting. It's, I, if, if I'm correct, that that's what they were doing. It looked like somehow like it was animation, I think, because of the crazy light in the scenes and just the constant glitter flying around everywhere. Um, so I thought it looked really fantastic. I thought that the extremely loud ambient noise in all the forest scenes I've really never seen that before and I think it added so much like it made you feel unsettled but also like wow this is a really like fantastical world um so I thought it looked great loved looking at Tom Cruise the whole time that was all great Tim Curry's great Mia Sarah was pretty good and pretty I this is truly a matter of taste and really doesn't necessarily say anything about the movie, but I really struggle. I just wrote so many times in my notes that I really am hating all of this troll shit. Um, (laughs) I I do not like um, fantasy very fantasy. That's like in a, I like the Harry Potter side of fantasy where it's like grounded in, my world but not so much like trolls and giants and people talking like in a fake kind of British dialect and all of that um that is really that really graded on me um however I do want to pay uh Tom Cruise a compliment I think he dealt with that shit so well like he has to say you know, very, I noted one of his pieces of dialogue and I'm trying to find, oh, when he has to say, what use is a world locked in a season of death? I'm like, he totally sold that shit to me. Like saying those kinds of, in that kind of vernacular, um, he did a really good job, but it's hard. And I just really don't even like looking at those, um, creatures and things. And I didn't think that they were that good the creatures i didn't think the design was that good they didn't feel real like in the way that yoda or other kind of no like the, the, creatures feel real the like the, swamp witch thing yes, was I like said the same thing yeah cl- clearly a uh, it was like a thing on a on a stick or a spring or yeah. something you know who uh, like, did you see who played who? The, the swamp witch? no uh robert picardo he's in like a lot of joe dante's movies um i think what he might what distinctive role he might have. Yeah, he's he's like a kind of like a character actor using mm. a lot of stuff. It, I mean, obviously, you cannot tell through the makeup at all. Right. But, uh, that's like he's in the there, you think? I guess so. In the credits, it was, wow. it was, it was Meg Mucklebones and uh, Robert Picardo. Wow. I'm pretty sure. With regard to the makeup, uh, I felt like Tim Curry as Darkness was a real, like maybe the strongest point. Like that makeup was incredible. I um, agree. I like think the... Or? I think the makeup was great. You could see the seams of his prosthetics, though. And I don't know if that's because I was watching like an eight gigabyte like director's cut or something. Mm-hmm. Um, but I thought the, the design was great. And even with some of the trolls, like there was a troll thingy. I guess they're goblins. I don't give a fuck. But 
in the beginning when they're in the shack. There was one that was very xenomorph-esque and just had like slobber pouring off its face all the time and was kind of always in darkness. And I liked that side of things. Like there's a ton of just like phallic, you know, weird sexual shit in this movie, I think. And that side of things is so Ridley Scott's jam that it's like i liked that stuff more like the gimp with like the glitter mask on yeah um that was amazing and such a simple effect yeah like, that was awesome like where you can never you really you're the camera's pointed right at it and you can't get a read on like what is going on it really does look like an absence of a face and that was really cool and really simple i think to one of you said i think it was andrew said something about Meg, like you can't, like the way that it moved and everything and the way it was shot. I think one of the, like, there's many like technical aspects of this film that are extremely impressive, I think, because it's a very great director, obviously. But one thing that I struggled with, and I was wondering if it could be a choice for like the dreamlike effect of the movie, but Andrew, you mentioned something about Meg, the like swamp witch that like the way she was shot was kind of not great also and i don't know if this is what you what you mean okay so uh, yeah i just i just felt like uh maybe it was the way um like maybe it was the way the set was or the way the character design was or, Mm -hmm. or or what but like they didn't seem to be able to move the camera and and it was like it was like as soon as that character appeared, it was in this really, really tight uh, like shot reverse shot. Yes. And like you really couldn't get mm-hmm. any sense of like the space that the two of them were in. It was really exactly. Weird. Yeah. So it just made it look mm-hmm. more, that was, more uh, fake. I think that was one of my my first notes on the movie was that like everything looked awesome, but you never really got a chance to like look at it. And there was right. never like a wide shot. Well, there was rarely a wide shot that gave you like a really good. Exactly. Kind of, uh, grounding. Although, yes. when I was reading about it, did you guys read that before filming had finished? Uh, th- so th- you were you were talking earlier how it was built, you know, on a inside a studio and mm-hmm. all that. Um, before they were finished filming, uh, the entire forest set burned down, um, and so they Yikes. had to kind of very quickly. Uh, they filmed some of it outdoors, and they, you know they were able to set up some forests. Um, I'm trying to think what he said, but yeah, they still had like 10 days left of shooting in the forest. Can I, can, can I, can I add something? Yeah. Uh, so the one really <laughs> fucking bad at one really badass thing, uh, is after the, after the studio burned down, there was, I saw this thing in one of the links that you sent where like, uh, it, what it sounded like to me is Ridley Scott was just like, fuck it. And just like took a hose behind in the forest behind the studio and just like, cranked it on and just like created a stream yeah in in this like little park behind behind the studio and then they just that's where like they shot the unicorn scene and you can't fucking tell like it looks it looks the same as the rest of the movie Mm -hmm. in fact that might be the widest shot in the entire goddamn movie (laughs) well yeah that's what i was gonna say is that like i can't i thought maybe it was a choice for everything to be so tight that that like would add to the dreamlike quality or the kind of the disorienting nature of it. But like when they're doing their whole rigmarole of setting up the plates at the end to shine the light on the 
on Tim Curry. It's like I have no idea where they are relative to him, like or where that like banquet hall rel- is relative to where Tim Curry and Sloan are just chatting, like or wh- or like that thing that the one dude climbs up, like oh, so they're are they up there? Like or is that where the yeah? It was really hard to tell where anything was yeah. um, because nothing is, was wide. This movie, and I think this, I think the movie is like. It also feels like it's, re- I think it's horribly edited. And I don't know if that yeah. is, I, but it's like, it's like, but it's, it's so horribly edited that I feel like it's, it, it feels like it must be a result of not shooting enough or correctly, I guess. Well, yeah, there was a part, there was the part where they're in the dungeon and they're in their cage and then they get out. And I think that one of the other many troll guys, who's like a bad troll guy, realizes that they've escaped but i don't know how he knows that they escaped or where he was compared to the case like what did he hear so it just yeah it was really confusing and then yeah there were a lot of times where like oh now tom cruise is having to like sneak around or climb up something and i'm like why why is he having to do this like where is he what's happening who's he trying to avoid it was very um hard to follow the uh well, I agree, and, and this is a this is like a, isn't this like a thirty million dollar movie or something? Yeah, is it was that, a twenty four. I was wondering about budget. That's twenty four point five million dollars in what nineteen eighty five? Five. Uh, they yeah. filmed, I, I think, think they filmed yeah eighty four and five. That's insane. That's a lot of money for that time, and like to 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 be having these kinds of complaints about this movie is right. is insane to me. Well, yeah, and it's strange because I mean at this point, like Ridley Scott and his mm-hmm. editor uh, Terry Rawlings. Like they had right. made Blade Runner. So like mm-hmm. that, I mean, they got their coverage on that. They got their, you know, uh, like that's that's a well-edited film. I've seen several different cuts of it and they're all mm-hmm. you know, very coherent and you have a sense of place, like a very strong sense of place. And so yeah, it's, it's confusing to me too. Uh, well, and I mean, it was like, you know, Ridley Scott to me is in some ways like a slightly more competent Terry Gilliam where like, He's this great director, but he struggles so much to get what he's trying to do across. And they did like 15 drafts of this screenplay. And at one and at one point it was like insanely long and bloated and had way too many story elements. And they just kind of like ruthlessly stripped it down. And I'm like, is that (coughs) sorry, does that play into the editing and how th- I don't know it's like some of it is covered in a way by like the Cocteau Beauty and the Beast nature of the storytelling that it's like mm-hmm. oh this doesn't make sense it's because it's kind of a dream possibly yeah. or like I didn't understand it all when he dives in to get her ring for the second time but it looks exactly like the first time he did it and I'm like am I seeing the first time he did it again and the whole thing was a dream, which is kind of what she sort of seems to think. But I don't know if she believes that. Or is this is him is this him diving in a second time? Yeah. And the movie's was... two hours, so there should be time to so, show me him going there or something. Did you watch just the directors or did you also watch the theatrical? Cut? I watched just the director's cut. Okay. So I watched I did I watched both of them and the this problem that we're talking about is like 
way worse in the theatrical cut. I had I very imagine. little to no idea what was going on in the theatrical <laughs> cut, but like it, it's still like, so the, the theatrical cut, I didn't dislike it. And it, it's kind of hard for me to like, not like a movie with this kind of production design. Like it's just, mm-hmm. it's so pretty to look at. Uh, mm-hmm. But I, I got this, I got this feeling that I used to get when I was a kid. That like when you would watch like a Disney movie, um, you could tell from you from the music and the the character or the the actors and things like uh, the expressions. You knew what the emotion was supposed to be. Like you knew there was right. trouble. You knew there was this was happy. But like until you know a decade later, as you're older, you rewatch a Disney movie and like, oh, like that's why this happened. I never really understood that as a kid, but I got like the gist of like. Mm-hmm. how I was supposed to feel and I was still into it and I was still concerned for the character. It was like it was like that kind of a feeling, but like I am an adult now and I don't think that yeah. rewatching this in 10 years I'm going to be like, "Oh, that's why that happened." But it was like it just had that very like mythological um mm-hmm. like yeah, kind of and dreamlike also, yeah. Which like kind of works, I think. I think it at least makes it an interesting movie, but it might not be a good movie. Right. Well, like and I mean when they when like Sloan and Tom Cruise are like talking in the woods, it's like, I don't know what they're talking about. Right. I know that this is like extremely this is some kind of sexual metaphor. There's all these horns on everything and cutting <laughs> off horns and her wanting to touch the horn and like all, you know, all of this stuff. And obviously, like something about her virginity, virginity and seduction and this kind of stuff. Um I don't know what it's saying, <laughs> but it wasn't like, oh, this is just a nonsensical movie. It's like maybe because it's Ridley Scott or something, you still kind of have the sense it's like there's I could understand this. Like it feels worth analyzing yeah. in a way. It's not like all the Adam Sandler films we've watched where like Mike, you've basically just had to be like, guys, we're not going to figure this out. <laughs> like it feels like this movie could be figured out um, even if it can't. I And I think that's kind of a point in its favor that there's some kind of something to dig into. Yeah. I think, but you, I don't understand it. <laughs> yeah. I, I think like at worst, a, a probably pretty decent little fairy story got mm-hmm. buried in this production like mm-hmm. you know it might not be like a, oh it turns out it's a really brilliant or bold film but just kind of like you know it was a simple it was a fairy story it was kind of interesting there was this to it there was that to it but then you know just it got overwhelmed by all the i think like uh, i read ebert's review of it from the time and he talks about how like uh tim curry and tom cruise's characters are as actors like their characters just get buried by all the sets because it's like you know, or the makeup or whatever mm-hmm. uh that yeah, like that overwhelmed it. Uh, I just want to read the quote uh, mm-hmm. f- for uh, from Roger Ebert that um, that I think Mike is referring to that mm-hmm. I, I really like. It says, all of the special effects in the world and all of the great makeup and all the great puppet cr- Muppet creatures can't save a movie that has no clear idea of its own mission and no joy in its own accomplishment. And mm-hmm. I thought that perfectly summed up this movie for mm-hmm. me. Yeah. Anyway, I'm sorry, continue. Well, and I don't think they're Muppets, are they? No, he did. He kept calling them Muppets, but I don't think Jim. Crim- but uh, I think Jim that's Crim- part of the problem. That's what part of why they don't look real is because they're not Henson. Yeah. And if they were, I think they would work better. And yeah. I think the puppeteering would be more effective. 
Yeah. Uh, so Alex Thompson was the cinematographer on this. And the next year he went to work on uh, Labyrinth, which I think was the Jim Henson mm. creature shop kind of thing. And, uh, and yeah. I hate I hate all of that troll shit as well. Yeah. But I think they're more. They feel more connected to the human characters in Labyrinth than they did in here, yeah. where it really felt like even though I do think like and it's and it kind of is a bummer because. I thought, for instance, like, I mean, the Gump or whatever is a kind of character that I can't stand. But he and Tom Cruise had good chemistry, I thought. And I thought, like, the fairy, Una, also was, like, she was much more interesting to me than the little, like, gargoyles that they were also hanging out with. And you felt like you were actually getting a performance as opposed to just, like, a giant nose, you know? (laughs) (laughs) <laughs> a, sl- a slimy nose too i yeah i don't know why is everything got to be so gross see i think i get why i think i know what happened because i know on alien like one of the big like aha moments was they were trying to figure out how to make the alien feel more real when they were shooting mm-hmm. it like it just wasn't coming across and they figured out that they could just fucking ooze tubes and tubes of petroleum jelly all mm-hmm. over it to the point that it's just drooling it and that kind of that is like the thing that makes you connect with it and i think he was just like oh yeah when we made alien we fucking sold it with Mm -hmm. the petroleum (laughs) jelly so they're gonna bathe these poor trolls in it and the thing is is like i don't think you need that here because these creatures talk and have personalities and aren't Mm -hmm. just you know robot killing machines so i i think it just it just makes them like unnecessarily gross yeah. Well, and the whole and the whole world of the like forest is beautiful and nice. So, like, yes. why aren't the fucking troll dudes also beautiful? Like, well, I think they're supposed to be like the print the Lord of Darkness's henchmen. So, I think they're supposed to be. They're the, supposed to contrast it. I guess even the ones who were hanging out with Tom Cruise, they were like converted bad guys. No, I, oh, I don't know. I don't think so. I think. They were just. They looked look just like or, them, but yeah. okay. I don't, know. I don't know. I just, I just want things to be pretty, and it seems like this movie's like number one goal was to be pretty <laughs> for a lot of it. Like, yeah. And then well, they, gosh. why are those creatures so gross? And in the theatrical cut, I, I'm pretty sure that this was not in the director's cut, but there's like this shot of the unicorn after, after its horn has been cut off. Uh, and there's like all these like purple like petals and stuff like floating all over the sky mm-hmm. and it's just like sitting there in this is that in the director's cut too yeah the are you talking you're talking about all the all the like floaties yeah it's when tom cruise goes up to like apologize to the unicorn yeah like, yeah to, like you know yeah set this right okay i couldn't remember if that but yeah like like that was totally beautiful like everything in that's totally beautiful mm-hmm. there's nothing slimy or weird or warty or anything like that mm-hmm. uh so yeah well, and i mean weird it's hopping between all that it's so effectively done like it truly does i do think that this looked unlike any other move particularly like before the winter hits even though the winter stuff was gorgeous too but like the forest when it's summer or whatever or spring is i've never seen anything else in a movie that looks like that i mean the closest thing to it almost is like disney snow white or something um where it looks it looks insane and beautiful and like nothing else. And like, it feels, it feels like they looked at, like I would say it reminded me of like pre-Raphaelite paintings, like Malaise's Ophelia that he just like, he made, he looked at that and then was, and then somehow managed 
to make real life look like that, which is which is extremely impressive and like makes the movie worth watching. It's just unfortunate that the story does not make sense. It's it's like nothing. It's just like not even there. I guess you guys probably know this, but do you know like what it is said that this film strongly inspired a much more successful piece of media? Zelda? Yes. Yeah. Really? Yeah. Yeah. I and I mean, if you think about it, it's like Una is is Navi or whatever her. Right. What's her name? Navi and Zelda. Yeah. Well, that's so the only Zelda game I've played is Ocarina of Time. And watching this mm-hmm. film, the first time I watched it, I was like, man, this has Ocarina of Time. Like, I guess Ocarina of Time has this all over it. Um, yes. Which is cool. I mean, Absolutely. It, it works a lot better in Ocarina of Time than it does here. But well, like Link's hair is even like identical to Tom Cruise's yeah. in this where he has like the little ponytail at the back, like yeah. that's not yeah, even yeah. holding most of his hair and like his costume oh. and his little shorts. That's another long haired Tom Cruise movie is uh, Last Samurai. Doesn't he have long hair in that? Yeah. Oh, yeah, he does. He does. And a beard. Oh, there you go. We can maybe have a bearded Tom Cruise triple feature. Okay. I don't what even the, think there are, are there other th- ones. I don't I don't think so. Oh. Well, that's like that's off the list. Then. That's like he looks he looks great. <laughs> with the beard, right, with the beard. Uh, I'm gonna that, ask, mo- that movie's awesome I- Andrew uh, I'm gonna get your uh, yeah. what, what was your you so you've seen the film before uh, what did you think of it this time around well uh, yeah and I've seen the theatrical cut I've actually seen it many times um I kind of grew up with it a little bit um uh, so um one thing my grandfather used to do like I always loved movies growing up and he used to go to uh, he traveled to China all the time and he was always like into like schemes and scams. Uh, so uh, he he would bring back bootleg DVDs of movies, <laughs> uh, like hundreds of them, which was awesome. Now, unfortunately, he has terrible taste in movies. So like 80 percent of them were just like copies of the same Steven Seagal movie. <laughs> but um, I, I remember I remember he he brought home what I thought was uh a a, a a like a advanced copy of uh fellowship of the ring and then i remember putting it on and uh and realizing it was legend now the reason i thought it was fellowship of the ring is because the disc had the fellowship artwork you know it's like got frodo <laughs> in the foreground uh-huh. and then however i remember pulling the disc out and looking and it said lord of the rings too but i remember looking more like closer at the at the art and frodo's face had been cut out and tom cruise's face is put in there so they really wanted to fool people um anyway so i've seen this movie a bunch of times uh and no it has never made sense like i've never felt like i ever like connected with it um i Mm -hmm. i do not like this movie i do not think it is very good i agree that it is pretty uh, but I connect with almost none of it because the edit is so choppy and bad. Um, I think the characters are paper thin and boring as hell. Uh, I, I, I mean, I, I don't. They're very I archetypal. Need, yeah. But like, but like even barely to me, like I, I just I needed something. I, I did not like Mia Sarah in this movie. I thought she was boring, although I thought the script did her no favors at all. Yeah. Uh, it really but seemed Tom like this Cruise- movie. No, I think Tom. I think Tom Cruise and T- Tom Cruise is 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 the best part outside of Tim Curry, who is only in is really right. only in the movie for the last twenty minutes. Um, but is so and, good. And yeah, I agree. I love Tim Curry. He's he is the most mem. That last twenty minutes of the movie, which 
I, mm-hmm. I unfortunately liked less than I have in the past. Like I've always like when I think of legend, I think of two things. I think of the part where she touches the damn unicorn, which she's not fucking supposed to. <laughs> and then I think about and then I think about the finale, uh, which was awesome when I was a kid and much less awesome now, which so that's been robbed of me. Um, <laughs> but uh, but uh, yeah, I, 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 I and I, I found that this this movie seemed to hate Mia Sarah's character. Like, I guess it's like an Adam and Eve sort of thing. But she's like she's like Eve dialed up like Eve just acting like doing even more insane things like don't touch the fucking unicorn touches the fucking unicorn. Uh, then she that like immediately after that, immediately after potentially <coughs> destroying the world, she like she like she does this thing. And maybe you guys maybe maybe I missed something. So maybe there's some context I'm missing. But as I understood it, uh, like he, they want to get married or something, but she wants to like make him work for it. So she takes her yeah. a, a ring and she throws it into a fucking like lake and he's got to dive in after it and find it like Smeagol in Return of the King. Uh, so yeah, it's I, weird. It's like at one point did that ring thing come before the unicorn thing? Maybe, like, because you think that there would be more of a reaction to the unicorn thing than you wouldn't just go keep playing weird little sex games with yeah. your forest friend. Exactly, that was yeah. odd. And uh, um, uh, you know, and echoing your point earlier about the makeup uh, and and creature effects, like this this is Rob Bottin. This is this mm-hmm. is Rob Bottin after the fucking thing. Right. Mm-hmm. Which is mm-hmm. even today, like m- maybe the best creature effects I've ever seen in my life. Mm-hmm. Um, and and I, I don't think I, I think Tim Curry looks awesome. I think uh, I think for the most part, like it seems like his his face is moving and in, in, right. in all the right ways. So I think mm-hmm. that in it, in and of itself is an impressive accomplishment. But I think like it's really kind of down the middle. Like there's some stuff that looks really awesome and mm-hmm. other things that like. I, I, like I, I get what they're going for, but like, like the the, the sea witch is just too fucking mm-hmm. gross and lumpy. Uh, well, for like thirty million dollars, her costume, her like evil costume, looks like a piece of cardboard that I wrapped black spandex around. And Meet like, me it's al- yeah, it's almost yeah. like you can see. I thought at one point, I'm like, is that like duct tape holding it together or something? It looked so flimsy and like. It was a bad design, badly executed, and then her makeup at that point looks really cheap as well. The wig was cool, but and I like that a unibrow is part of being evil, but um, it, it's just, I was like, why? It's so half, it seems so half-assed here. And honestly, like, I thought Tom Cruise looked cool. I like the concept of his costume, but it didn't look, Me too. there was nothing particularly impressive about any of the costumes, I thought. For a thirty million dollar movie about like princesses and shit, no. you'd think there'd be more to it. Mm-mm. And 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 the and the spectacle in general, like I felt, was really lackluster. Like just like mm-hmm. the choreography of the fight between him and him and the Lord of Darkness was, yeah, just it's fucking really lame. bad. And like this this guy's this guy, this guy's supposed to be the fucking devil, and like he mm-hmm. really defeats him pretty goddamn easily. Uh, yeah. yeah. So, I mean, there were things that looked, looked really cool. Um, like I thought that whole set and there was a couple of like kind of marquee shots that I thought were really awesome in that, in that, like in, in Tim Curry's like mm-hmm. layer or whatever. Um, but yeah, everything was staged really weird. Um, so yeah, it was just, it's, it's, it's a movie that's so just like choppy to me that nothing really lands at all so it it to me it, it just kind of becomes 
you know, all the pretty things become worthless. Also, I thought like some of the atmospheric stuff was just like a little too much. Um, like honestly, dial back the glitter 20% and I'm fully on board with the nah. glitter. Dial nah. bubbles. <laughs> I don't know about the bubbles. Why are the bubbles there? Why are the I bubbles there? I don't know. The, the, Fuck the, that. The, that can go. <laughs> the dan all okay, all the dander, like you know that's fine uh, whatever uh but there's but just dial it back like 20 percent. like i don't believe that these people can breathe in this world they inhabit um and yeah. one one more thing i want to say um a really really big problem to me is that it 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 it, it didn't have any I mean, on top of having you know no establishing shots to produce a, a sense of place but also a sense of scale and and also there's like right. four characters in this entire movie right mm -hmm. so um and and because i don't care about the characters nothing matters but like uh you know this is supposed to be like the battle for good and evil and it seemingly will only impact these four people mm -hmm. so what does it matter like yeah, there's I no mean, there's no collateral I damage yeah i don't mind that so much because of the fairy tale aspect of it but it does seem to like reduce the stakes especially since like everyone's kind of reaction to this happening is not that but, big <laughs> but i it, it just produce it, it produces this sort of emptiness and then i think i think too one technique that they did which uh peter jackson went on to do with lord of the rings is they it at least this is what it sounded like to me i, I didn't confirm this but it sounds the same uh it sounds like they adr'd everybody's lines lee like, said that the they entire, did the entire because Okay, yes. That, Which I well, don't understand like why, because they're on a soundstage, though. So you'd think, like, they're not really outside, so, and all of that ambient noise seemed like it was added in post. So, like, what are you covering? Well, here's the thing, I, and I don't, know, I don't know why they chose to do that in Legend, but they do it in Lord of the Rings, and it's fucking awesome. Uh, it just creates a whole kind of... It, 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 a whole other fantastical element that I think is really awesome. However... There are more than four characters in that in that movie, and there are mm -hmm. these beautiful, you know, wide shot. I mean, the movie is ninety percent wide shots uh, with right. you know thousands and thousands of characters. Mm -hmm. So it it doesn't. So to me, it, it just feels like they're standing in these sort of hollow vacuums, talking to each other, and nothing matters because it's not going to impact anybody, right? Like there's just this yeah, weird out of body I, feel to it. The thing I was going to say about the scale too, and that you bring up is like Tim, all the plates in like Tim Curry's. I didn't realize that they were plates at first. It took a long time because I didn't realize that Tim Curry was supposed to be a big guy. And cause he's never in a shot with anybody else until at one point he went over and stood next to Mia Sarah and I could see like, oh, that cup is huge for her, but like normal for him. Like, but that's like 10 minutes into his introduction that I finally understood like, oh, he's really big. I see. Yeah. Which is 10 minutes from the end of the movie. <laughs> right. <Yeah. laughs> he does. He does appear much earlier in the theatrical cut. So like in the yes. director's cut, it's a. Uh... You know, it's the back of his chair, and mm -hmm. you can hear him talking and all this. So, in the theatrical cut, there's a little scroll to open the film and kind of set you up, and then I think it comes into him. I can't remember exactly. He, you do see him earlier in the film in the theatrical cut, mm -hmm. um, but to listen to Ridley Scott talk about it, he felt like the theatrical cut, and he was he was, you know, happy to oblige the uh, the Universal. Uh, I guess I think it was like the president of Universal requested the the cuts and stuff. Um, and really Scott worked with them and all, but uh, hearing him talk about it, he was very clear that he felt like he was dumbing down 
what he thought was a pretty good film into uh, something. He he regularly said something like American audiences will be able to in, uh, understand this better and enjoy this. And that's why they did like Tangerine Dream instead of uh, Goldsmith's score, which I that's one thing we haven't talked about. But I thought the score was really good, too. Mm-hmm. Um, hmm. but, uh, anyways. Yeah. So he. he uh, wait, 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 which one? The tan, the tan. I actually I liked both. Um, which which but I score think the you, you thought the score was way better, way way more yeah. fitting. Uh, to... I felt like there was too much music though in the director's cut. It's like music the whole time, yeah. and that graded on me eventually. Even though the score is good, it just eventually was like Jesus. This is like especially when it was like wall to wall score plus all the ambient sound of the forest and dialogue. I'm like this is starting to give me a headache. Yeah. It's really weird though. Like it just it again. I I think there's huge problems on a story level, but I feel like there's like lots of I don't know atmosphere and I mean it's just such an ambitious movie. That, mm-hmm. Yeah, but yeah, it was overwhelming. But it like like I was saying earlier, I felt like when you're a kid and you're kind of overwhelmed by a movie and you're not really sure what's going on, not necessarily in a good way, but just like yeah, it did create an interesting effect. But yeah, it was it was a lot. Why, why do you guys think, do you, so why do you guys think there are like no extras? <laughs> like, is, do like you, like, do you people? think it, it, do you think, yeah, like, do you think yeah. it served some sort of, I think it's a choice. Oh, I'm sure it's a choice. Cause I, I, it's because it's a fairy tale. It's because he read a bunch of like right. Grimm's fairy tales and things. Yeah. And like, there's not a bunch of speaking characters in those stories who aren't directly related to the plot. And also because I think everything is so, I think it is like, you know, the hero with a thousand faces kind of thing where everyone's just a metaphor for a something. Like, Mia Sarah's not a person. She doesn't have a personality. She's like, yeah. stands for all women or something. <laughs> and like, the devil and the unicorns have to do with like, I don't know sex in some penises somehow like it's all Death. like nothing's really like i do think lord of the ring i mean the lord of the rings is like has a bunch of like archetypal kind of things going on it's a whole world and it's a story about that world this is like a story about our world somehow but through allegory that i don't understand <laughs> that actually makes that actually is a really good point you know, one thing that's interesting to me is um, Ridley Scott is kind of famously one of these directors who like really, really benefits from a director's cut. Mm-hmm. Um, if you watch uh, some of the time, but like uh, like a Kingdom of Heaven was famously cut down from like three hours and 15 minutes to like 90 minutes. Mm-hmm. And is it, the, the theatrical cut is truly horrible. But then you watch the director's cut and there's like all this like awesome context and like entire plots that have been pulled from the movie. And that movie's actually really good. And then like um, Blade Runner is another is a yeah. even more famous example, like horrible theatrical cut. And then you, you know, make some tweaks and all of a sudden you have a masterpiece on your hands. Mm-hmm. And um, even even like Prometheus, which didn't officially get a director's cut, but like it has all of these. Uh, it's like kind of like famously like a really middling movie. But then like. Um, I keep saying famously, uh, but then uh, there's a bunch of like deleted scenes where you could see like the blueprint for like an, a movie that makes like a thousand mm-hmm. more percent. So it's just weird to me that like this is a, this is this is the one that like didn't 
that didn't go. work. I get. Yeah. yeah, it's yeah. it's strange. And this is, is and this is hot. This is this is hot off of Alien and Blade Runner. Yeah. yeah. Well, and I was gonna it. say it's funny to me. I was watching this and I realized, like, wow, like Ridley Scott is really into unicorns. Like, I was yeah. almost like, is this a Blade Runner prequel in some way or like a sequel? Because like this, just all this meaning to these unicorns, and then like, all the like tight close-ups of Mia Sara's like brown eye. I was like, this is v- extremely this. F- it in a way feels so related to Blade Runner. Yeah, definitely some great yeah. marks. I definitely agree. Like like we were saying, very large problems on the story level. But I just had a hard time not kind of admiring a lot of the movie. Um, mm-hmm. And like, like you know, you're both like, it seems like we're all saying that like there seems to be like the skeleton of a very, well, more than the skeleton, I don't know, just all of the elements of like a really good classic fairy tale like kind of movie. But mm-hmm. it just like doesn't quite get there on a number of different levels. And so it just becomes this kind of weird like mush of like could have been or, you know, that would have been really neat. Um, uh, I definitely I like the director's cut between the two, uh, but the endings are different. And there was some stuff that I thought was left out of the end that was better <laughs> in the theatrical cut. Uh, like you never see at the end of the director's cut him reattaching the unicorn's horn. Um, right. So that's in the which was like cut. the whole point of the film. Yes, exactly. And I was like, wait, <laughs> was this just like an oversight when they were putting together the the director's cut that like, oh, we forgot to add that in. But yeah, so I thought that was odd. So maybe there's, you know, with Blade Runner, there's the theatrical, the directors, and then the final cut. So maybe there will someday be a fantastic <laughs> version of Legend. Uh, let's see. I got uh thing about the Disney movies when you're a kid. Uh, the production design is the best thing about the movie. Mm-hmm. Remind me of Zelda. Yeah, I guess that's most of... Um, yeah, there's. I kind of did some notes comparing the two cuts, but that's not really essential. Well, the the director's cut is a real anticlimactic ending. Like the way that he defe- defeats Tim Curry is like okay, and then the whole MacGuffin, which they did get me to care about, I think, because it was attached to a horse, and I just cared about that horse. That like when it was dropping into the hot water or whatever that doesn't burn tom cruise i was like i like gasped and said oh no (laughs) like they were gonna lose the horn or something but then you don't see him reattach it and then they have that super confusing ring thing and then she wakes up and she friend zones him and it's like okay like what and also like why can't why does tom cruise have to say goodbye to his friends who have been like helping him on his mission if he's just gonna go back and live in the forest right well, and uh, yeah, there's some kind of suggestion that it's her dream because she says, like, can I come back tomorrow or something like that? But there's no reason that, like, why would Tom Cruise have to go too? like, presumably he is also in the dream unless these two people have met in their well, dreams. Or- and why does he put the ring on her? Because the the what Gump is saying seems to suggest, like, you can figure this out. The solution to, like, saving her and the solution seems to be you don't get the ring, you give the ring back to her. Which, again, it's just got to be about sex in some way. (laughs) But I can't (laughs) make sense of it. The early drafts were, like, very, very sexual. Like, I know that there was, like, a a scene where um, the Lord of Darkness, like, he, like, I think he, like, convinces her to 
to love him. And then they have like very violent sex. Mm-hmm. Um, so there was a bunch of like very dark, like sexual stuff. And I mean, all of that stuff is still there. They just took out the like actual penetration. Well, and her ring, it looks like it's like a sun and a moon, which like relates to the light and the darkness thing. And when Tim Curry was talking at the end about how like there is no light without darkness, it's like he's definitely right. So like, is it something to do with that, that the balance of her like light and dark side is what keeps, I don't know. But then again, why can't they, does Tom Cruise not have that problem? Why can't they be friends? Why can't they get married or whatever? Why can't she be, it's like, it's just strange because suddenly at the end of the director's cut, it's like, oh, they belong to two different worlds, but she lives in a fucking shack in the forest and he also lives in that forest. <laughs> like, And that's never really been a thing for the whole movie, but suddenly it is, and I don't understand. Right. Well, so I actually, you guys, uh, I think Andrew was saying earlier um, that her character seemed kind of like underwritten or just they didn't give her much to work with. And like, I felt like Tom Cruise was very underutilized in this. Like they're really, I wasn't that into Jack. I mean, it was pretty standard you know, he's got to save the day to get the girl, et cetera, et cetera. Uh, I felt like her character, at least in the way that her conflict like tied into the themes of like good and evil, was mm-hmm. maybe like it was a fuller story, but it it was far from a full story. But I do feel like they gave her more to do. Like, you know, she's tempted by darkness. And then you know, mm-hmm. I thought that dance was actually kind of cool. Uh, that was cool. Dancing. Yeah. And then she kind of becomes a little darker and uh, then, you know, she redeems herself at the end with, you know, she doesn't kill the unicorn. She frees it. Um, yeah, but, it's. I yeah. thought it was cool how she was the like she was the protagonist at the beginning of the film, which makes sense yeah. since it seems very Cocteau-esque. And then in the middle, it's like completely switches to be Tom Cruise's story, which right. I'm fine with. because I'd rather look at him. But like. Then back at the end, she again has the more interesting, like Tom Cruise, I guess his arc is he goes from a guy who hangs out in the forest to like a hero, but I don't know what he's going to do now. Like after the end of the, at the end of the director's cut, she's like, Hey, yeah, you're the dude in the forest. And that's what seems like what he's going to go be again. So he, and he was already a good moral guy. It didn't, I don't know. I just didn't, I, except that I guess he was like trying to get her to have sex with him. Is that, was that his problem? But then she has like a more interesting arc where she's this like curious girl. She goes on this adventure that teaches her or dream or something that teaches her something about herself. And then at the end of the movie, she's changed in some somewhat vague way, or at least has come to some kind of self-knowledge. And that's like the protagonist's story. She's the one who changes. Mm-hmm. but for the most of the movie she's not even in it right like in the middle of the movie yeah which yeah is weird especially if it's her dream uh <laughs> but what so this is one major difference between the cuts in the theatrical cut so you know when they're like waving to the unicorn and the forest creatures and stuff um yeah okay so they run away together in the theatrical mm-hmm. cut there's like this kind of strange montage ending where like, you know, they get the ring. I can't, I can't remember exactly. It was hard to watch them. It was hard, It's hard to like remember which was which. Yeah. Um, but yeah, they run away together. Whereas at the end of the director's cut, I think she runs off first and then he runs off. He waves at the creatures and then he runs off by himself. 
Um, mm-hmm. Also, there is a song uh, from the lead singer of Yes at the end of the, John uh, Anderson. I love yeah. him. We were just watching him do stuff last night. It's a pretty decent song. I think if you like Yes, you would at least enjoy it. It's very cheesy, but it's like, it, you know, his, his voice is great. Uh, there's also a song from his Brian voice Ferry. is so good. Oh, Brian Ferry. Yeah, I didn't I didn't like that one as much, but I think they were kind of just trying to go in keeping with the Tangerine Dream sound. And, but but uh, I did like the John Anderson one. But uh, uh, but yeah, so yeah, even even as late as, you know, the theatrical cut or, you know, they so they started with this then they had they started with the, the longer cut. They had the bad test screening. Then they chopped it down to 95 minutes for the the uh, European release. They chopped it down further. And for the U- the U.S. release was several months later because um, I guess they did the new score and they made some more changes. So, yeah, they just seemed very like they had all these elements and very confused about how to bring them together from to the extent that like in one cut of the film, they're running away independently. In another cut of the film, they're running away uh, together. Also, at the end of the theatrical cut, uh, it's all like happy and like, you know, you're seeing the forest creatures and they're running around and, uh, then like, uh, darkness, his face kind of, right. like, did you see that? No, but I read about Re- that. Okay. Yeah. So, and that was weird as well, but like, it also fits the theme better, which is what he's saying at the end of the movie that you need both of them. Yes. That, it, yeah. yeah. It's just a strange way to go about it. I think cinematically just to kind of do like but a little it seemed, superimposition. Of, yeah. Uh, you know, remember this guy, remember, <laughs> It seemed like such an obvious thing, though, because like the part where Tom Cruise says the thing that I quoted about, you know, what use is a a constant season of death or something like that. But it seemed like the flip side of that is, well, what use is a constant season of light or of life or whatever, like that. Like, why isn't the result of this whole thing that now this land has seasons? If there's this whole idea of we're like purely like in the beginning, they're like pure innocence. I mean, it really does like all things feel very biblical (laughs) in a way that like you said, she's Eve. Doesn't the movie end on a on a sunset? Yes. He's like walking away into the sun kind of mid sky. Guys, I think that's it. Like the sun finally goes down at the end of the movie and it's not an unpleasant thing. So is it light all the time in their world before that? Okay. But I mean, I know it is, but I'm saying, do they say like, yeah, we never have night here. Oh, no, because the movie, the movie doesn't address that. But I mean, it, it appears that it is always the same. Mm -hmm. Okay. See, I didn't get that. I just thought that. Darkness's plan was to put an end to daylight. I didn't realize that there was all daylight all the time anyways. No, well, I don't know that that's the case, oh, okay. but like that would make sense with the story. Well, I think cuz it, yeah, it's, it's 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 daylight it's 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 daylight and then the only reason I'm saying that it's always daylight prior like early in the movie is because once they kill the unicorn or whatever, it's always dark. Mm-hmm. So, yeah. Right. And I mean, but I'm saying I think that could be the case. I think it could be the case that it's always spring or summer and it's always light and there's just kind of like this uncomplicated untested like morality and goodness and it is very garden of eden and there is a case to be made that like the introduction of evil into the world is actually a good thing in a sense or the introduction of darkness or the introduction of um binaries (laughs) is not a bad thing but it's like i wonder if that goes along with like ridley scott 
thinking Americans are stupid, does he think that like Europeans are so smart that he doesn't ever even have to tell you that this land has permanent daylight in order for you to understand? Like, or that it's summer all the time? And we're just like, like Ridley, there's, it's good to have faith in your, in your European audience, I guess. But I'm going to go ahead and guess that they also didn't understand <laughs> if that was the point <laughs> because um, you didn't sh- it's not you didn't show it at all yeah i don't remember any mention of it and and like I, I imagine like in the theatrical cut like you spend even less time in that world before things <laughs> go to shit you spend and that was another thing i liked better about the director's cut is in the theatrical cut you spend so little time with jack and lily up front that you're really mm-hmm. i don't care i mean i barely care in the director's cut because the characters are so thin <laughs> But like in the theatrical cut, it mm-hmm. just like zips straight through it. And you're just like, oh, I guess like it, it's so archetypal that it feels obligatory. Like we'd have to go on this quest to save it, uh, you mm-hmm. know, to, to defeat darkness, all this type of stuff. But like I didn't care at all about the relationship, especially after she throws the ring into the uh, at the bottom of the or I guess the river or whatever that would be. Mm-hmm. I was like, well, that's kind of, a, you know, she's kind of a jerk. Uh, what, you know, why would <laughs> why would Jack bother? Uh, that kind of thing. But you don't get to see them like having fun together. But yeah, the director's cut, they at least spend a little more time on that. But again, in neither cut do they explain or, you know, explain or otherwise communicate the thing about uh, <laughs> the, the light it, it, or perpetual light or anything, uh, which I guess we don't necessarily uh, yeah, I, know if that was the case. But. but I think that has to be it because of what her ring is. Her yeah. ring, I swear to God, is like a moon and a sun and it's like half and half. And that has to be the point. And like you said, Andrew, the sun going down, like seems like that image is kind of only meaningful. If I, I think that's it's it, relative to daylight and like permanent daylight or permanent darkness. But that makes me really pissed off at ornery old uh, Ridley Scott for thinking like, I don't know. It would be like if we watched alien and there was never any clue that they're in space or something and you're just expected to just somehow figure that out even though the characters don't act like that nobody mentions it or acts like it or i don't know it's just he's so it's like oh is his storytelling like just so fucking pure that like it becomes unintelligible because it's like well he these characters wouldn't know that night is even a thing so how could i tell you that it's daylight all the time (laughs) I remember, I remember when uh, when Prometheus came out, and uh, you know there was a lot of like the criticisms were just like about things like oh these characters don't make any sense, these a- the actions that they like so many things that just people just couldn't quite like just didn't connect, and uh, I remember like he he did he like was asked about some of this stuff in some sort of interview or something, and he like came back and was just like look. I know more about filmmaking than the people who are criticizing my films. Oh, gee, like, that was his, like, because because I know how to make movies and film critics don't. They don't know how to criticize my movies. And also audiences don't know how to watch movies. <laughs> so exactly. the only person who knows what <laughs> movies is, is Ridley Scott. <laughs> so actually, exactly. they're all really good. <laughs> Although, so to that's, be fair, so that's. <laughs> That's uh, Devil's Advocate. Some of them are really good. <laughs> I mean, he's. I mean, he made Blade Runner, and it was pretty poorly yeah. received. So, like, mm-hmm. he might have the ego, or he he may uh, he may just have this impression that, like, well, they're going to hate it this year, but twenty years from now, mm-hmm. 
they'll all they'll all talk about what a freaking masterpiece it was and all that kind mm-hmm. of stuff. I think Ridley Scott has made a, has made a few very very good like masterpieces, but I think he mm-hmm. also has a, a an entire cr- separate career of making really bad movies. Yeah, yeah. Mm-hmm. yeah, not quite as impeccable of a track record now as he did in 1984. But, yeah, but, <laughs> but, but here we are, here we are in 1985, and here is his first bad movie. Yeah, right. So like he made Al- I, he made the Duelist and Alien and and Blade Runner and then he made this and then the next the next movie the the next success that he has is uh, uh Black Rain. Mm-hmm. Have either of you seen Black Rain? Mm-mm. No, I haven't. I'd like to. I've heard it's cool. No, I've never fine. heard of it. No. It's exactly well, he did uh what Thelma and Louise pretty soon after that. Uh, no, yeah, I think that's like it's... I think that's ninety ninety or ninety one, isn't it? It's interesting so. how sometimes he'll do like he's kind of known for world building, I would say. Um, but then like, occasionally he'll do like Thelma and Louise or The Martian or like this very like grounded basic thing. I think he, I think he thing. had to. I think he had to scale back the types of movies that he made because of this. Right. Yeah. Like Alien is this is a big genre film. Blade Runner is a big genre film. This is meant to be a big genre film. And the next movie he makes after this, I think, is like some sort of like a romantic comedy or a, 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 a just it's like a drop. His next the next time he makes like a a, a, a genre film is The Martian, I think. Hmm. I'm pretty sure. Yeah, I think, though, like Thelma Louise, I think, is very good. Like and yeah. sometimes sometimes it's really nice for a really great director to just have like a normal screenplay and like existing locations and that, you know what I mean? Where it's like, for sure. He, like he doesn't have all this other shit that could go wrong. Like Peter Jackson's the same way. Obviously Peter Jackson somewhere deep down in his soul knows how to make a film, but you really wouldn't know it going by the last like 20 years. Like, I'm like, can P- I meant, but I guess Peter Jackson, well, no, that doesn't count. Like, what would happen if Peter Jackson directed a, a, a Thelma and Louise? I don't count the Lovely Bones because that still has a bunch of, like, fantastical shit in it. But, like, if he returned to, like, a Heavenly Creatures kind of script or something, maybe it would kick ass if he just took off his plate the, the need to, like, manufacture 1,500 individual helmets for a bunch of guys or something like that. Yeah. I don't know. I think there's there's a thing that happens to directors where they just they they do something that is so big <laughs> that they just they can't they can't recover from it. Um, and and maybe maybe this is the best thing that could maybe legend being terrible is, and failing mm-hmm. gloriously is the best thing that could have happened to Ridley Scott because we got a bunch of pretty good to okay. Ridley Scott movies with some with a couple of masterpieces sprinkled in and then a bunch of shit in between. So, you know, because like I can't like like James Cameron's never going to make a true lies again. Like that's yeah. over. Right. right? Uh, but I even like Terminator 2 is so much more like <laughs> grounded than avatar or something like that where it's like it's just guys sh- walking around in real locations in a way sure, with but- a bunch of other tech. Yeah, but also it's 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 that and the most groundbreaking movie of its time. Exactly. So, but that's it's it's <laughs> maybe it's nice if like that's what I mean, and that's kind of what I'm saying. I think fantasy. By the way, Gladiator Two has been greenlit apparently, um, but it's kind of 
I think maybe that's some a full blown fantasy where you're inventing a new world is so it's so much higher stakes than like a kind of sci-fi or fantasy that is somewhat grounded in and in our existing world and i mean a lot of the i would say a lot of the movies that come to mind when you think of just like the ultimate masterpieces or things like 2001 2001 or blade runner and stuff like that or like where people successfully pulled off that trick of making a huge new thing from the ground up that miraculously works which is hard enough in a movie where you're not having to like build every single thing from scratch and then a lot of the like worst pieces of shit we've ever seen are movies where it's like they cost a ton of money everything had to be made by hand it's like i think of like toys or something like that where it's just a world that is like entirely unlike ours and it's just like unrecognizable and horrible and annoying and a lot of you know, fantasy is a big swing kind of genre. Yeah. And yep. I don't want them to stop making them or anything, but I do think that's why like in my head, maybe I think of it as like, well, I don't like this genre because there is a lot, there's a lot of fucking turds out there in that, in that genre. Um, and not, not just your normal everyday turd of a movie that doesn't work, but a thing that is just like uncanny, <laughs> you know, <laughs> and frightening in some way. <laughs> Yeah, no, I agree. Um, I guess I've got some little box office and production tidbits mm-hmm. or whatever. Uh, do we want to run through that? Yeah. Or do you want to wrap it up? Okay, we'll do that real quick. Um, so it opened uh, It opened in the United States uh, on April 18th, 1986. It had opened in, um, I guess, in the UK and then European market, I guess, in December of 85. Um, but in the U.S., it opened. That's I could find most of the information on the United States release. Um, it opened up against Murphy's Law, starring Charles Bronson, and Brian De Palma's <laughs> pretty much entirely forgotten uh, comedy Wise Guys, which I have not even seen. Well, I've uh, never even heard of that. Yeah, is uh, who's in that? Uh, Joe Pesci, maybe. I was gonna guess. Oh. Is I was gonna say, is it Joe Pesci? As somehow that's ringing a bell for me of all people. It's yeah. Danny okay, DeVito. Yeah. No, yeah. it's Danny DeVito, Harvey Keitel, uh, Joe Piscopo. Okay. Yeah, yeah, I've never even seen it. I think De Palma's even said that that's like his least favorite of his films, just that it was kind of by the books and he wasn't that into it. I'll probably watch it eventually. Uh, but the so. Um, uh, Legend was the number one movie for two weekends, but it wasn't really like a, a runaway success. It didn't have big opening weekends. Um, it dropped off pretty quickly. Within a month of its release, it was pushed out of theaters by, among other things, Top Gun, which also starred Tom Cruise mm. and was directed by Ridley's brother, Tony. Uh, oh, <laughs> that's gotta hurt. Yeah. Friggin' so, owns. Yeah. I, I, Good lord. I wouldn't want to be at that Thanksgiving. That's amazing. Uh, Tom Cruise looks like such a baby in this film, and he seems like an adult in Top Gun. Yeah, no, I disagree. Well, and speaking of, that I was think he uh, looks like a baby in that. One interesting thing that I read about for the production was that um, before they started filming, like when they're in pre-production and everything, um, Ridley Scott gave a uh, he, or he screened uh, the Wild Child for. Um, uh, for Tom Cruise, which is the one, the Truffaut film about, I think it's The Wild Child, is that what it's mm-hmm. called? About the, the kid who was like raised by wolves. And it's that, uh, so he wanted him oh, to kind yeah. of act like that. So yeah, I mean, I guess he does a good job of seeming like childlike in like a forest 
Boy or something. Mm-hmm. Uh, but yeah, like I, I looked at that. I was like, man, so Top Gun and this came out in the States. It came out in the same year. And you're right. Like he looks, I mean, he's like, you know, the epitome of like a macho man in Top Gun. Um, so that's some range. But, but also, but also I feel like maybe you guys will disagree, but I feel like uh, like Top Gun is a also like a better example of like Tom Cruise, right? Like that is like the thing that makes Tom Cruise Tom Cruise, I feel like is 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 very very present in top gun yeah. and i don't i don't know if i i don't know if i really see it here i mean he's pretty but i don't i don't know he's also kind of dirty and gross uh so i i don't really i don't know yeah it was a really i think a weird choice for him at that point in his career because he had done risky business but like why yeah. legend before Which i think cool. he pro- i bet he wanted to work with ridley scott i mean yeah. i feel like that's got to be it and he yeah. seems oh, yeah. very driven by especially in his younger days of like I want to work with this person. I mean, yeah. he's such a like movie fan. Um, when he's worked, with I do. I, every, yeah, every great director of his time. He has worked with them. Right. Pretty much. I yeah. do. Th- and I do. Th- I mean, if you get in, a, he got in a Kubrick movie like the, he's clearly right. like, I think he, you have to work hard to get that probably. Um, and I do just want to say, I mean, I don't know. Maybe I'll say, are we going to do our cruise minute? This we can do it right now. episode. Let's do our okay. cru- a cruise minute. Okay, so every episode we're going to do a, a cruise minute. Uh, just about, cruising. Right. Um, I just wanted to say, I think he was really good in this movie. <laughs> uh, <laughs> I really do. I think he did the best other than Tim Curry with the dialogue. I think he looks absolutely amazingly beautiful, and he has a really, really hard job, um, which is like talking to hideous like puppet creatures and children being dubbed by adults and like all of that stuff uh also had to he had to fall down a ton and scramble over stuff a lot and i just think it needs to be said that he i mean in some ways this is pete cruz i mean every cruise is pete cruz it seems like but i love the long hair i love the snaggle teeth i love the unibrow he is wearing shorts the whole time there's a lot of shots that are basically up his asshole <laughs> practically like i love that he gets i love that he gets all this special armor but at no point gets pants like his femoral artery is just completely exposed at all times um i his i think it's cool that like you say like in in uh we should probably actually time these minutes. Yeah, um, but... the cruise five minutes, as we call it. <laughs> right, but like you're saying, in Top Gun, which is imme- like is what pushes this out of theaters. He's a completely different persona, mm-hmm. and in my opinion, he pulls off both. And I find this role to be, in some ways, similar to what he does in Interview with a Vampire, which is maybe my favorite Tom Cruise performance. So. You know, I really like this side of Cruise, and I think he does a really good job with it, even though he doesn't really get to show it that often. Yeah. I, I agree. Andrew, do you want to do a Cruise Minute as well? or? Uh... <laughs> well, I think what I would say in regards to this performance... Oh, boy, these Cruise Minutes are going to be a lot harder when we're doing movies without Tom Cruise in them. Yes. Um, we'll do it. But we will still do, we will still do them. Oh, yeah. Um, I think I agree with everything that Kit said, except I just I, I, I just I just didn't I didn't think it was good, but I don't think it's his fault. I think I, I think for what he was working with, I think you're correct. I'll just say that he's fun to watch. I think my favorite scene, honestly, of 
with him is the scene with him and the swamp witch. Mm-hmm. Like I thought, like I thought I could <gasps> see like, like that was him being kind of funny. And didn't um, he say, I did it at the, like when he yeah. kills yeah. her. Yeah. That's so, yeah. that was the best I line in the movie. <laughs> yeah. It was awesome. Um, so I think, I think that's, I think even though I don't really like that scene cause the creature effects are just kind of dopey and it's shot horribly. Um, I, I like, like I like him in that scene. I think that's the closest to everything that you're saying. You know, and that might have been part of or one of my problems with the movie is that it's Tom Cruise. And so maybe I had a really hard time realizing like at the beginning, oh, he's like a young forest boy who needs to prove himself because it's Tom Cruise. <laughs> so like you're kind of like, right, of course, he's going to prove himself. Like, you know, in, in my eyes, he starts the film with like, yeah, it's Tom Cruise. You know, so exactly. Like, he seems to be doing pretty good. You're like, right, yeah the whole movie like he's not a bad guy i again i just wonder if is what is is his failing the fact that he's trying to get her to fuck him or something like that even though it kind of seemed like she was trying to get him to fuck her so i don't know it's very confusing yeah it's a complicated dance yeah <laughs> um <laughs> all right back to the box office um, so it, it had a uh, domestic total of 15.5 million with another 8 million internationally uh, on a reported budget of 24.5 million. Um, it was so yeah, it took a loss. It was a uh, it was Embassy International's uh, or Embassy International production. It was uh, distributed in one second. Uh, yeah, distributed by Universal in North America and 20th Century Fox internationally. Um, so I guess at least two companies took took a hit on it. I, I don't know how that works with uh, it being one company's production and then distributed by two. But uh, anyways, I don't. Um, we've also got some production notes. Uh, as Kit has mentioned several times, uh, Scott said he was inspired by Cocteau's Beauty and the Beast, uh, which listening oh. to him talk about it, like in interviews and stuff, uh, I, I guess in the mid eighties, that was a fairly obscure film. Um, mm-hmm. it wasn't, you know, cause you know, now it's criterion collection. I think it's pretty well established classic, but it was interesting to hear that back then it was kind of rare to see that, but he really enjoyed it. Mm-hmm. Uh, as well as the, uh, 1935 Midsummer Night's Dream, uh, directed by Max Reinhardt and William D. I was going to say that there's yeah. some things about like the beginning scenes in the forest. I'm like, this looks very like a thirties or forties film of just people like, having a quick conversation and then like scrambling off into the forest or something like it reminded me of that. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> so yeah. He, he cited those as his two main filmic influences uh, along with uh, late Victorian book illustration kind of was his idea for like, I guess the colors and the look of the forest mm-hmm. and the fairies and the creatures and stuff. Um, okay. So he said that he wanted to do something lighter after alien and blade runner. Um, and so they moved into this. he had also, he had wanted to do, um, a production of Tristan and I sold, which I've never seen mm-hmm. or read. Uh, he wound up producing well, one like several decades later. Um, is it the yeah. one I know? I mean, I know of one that came out. It's the Frank, the Franco. Yeah. Franco. It's one. Franco okay. One. Yeah. Which I've never yeah. seen. Um, you, it can't be good. I don't think. Yeah. I've I don't remember it. I've seen it. Much of a, what'd you think? I don't, I don't see Franco um, <laughs> in that. No, area. it's see that. But this is this is Franco in like 2000 when he was doing like bigger budget, like movies like that and not really acting like him. This is when he was doing like fly boys and shit. Oh, yeah. Which is also bad, though. 
I mean, spring yeah, break it's bad, good. but like we I'm just, I'm, but I'm, but I'm saying, I'm saying that this is not, this is not Franco doing Franco, which is what mm-hmm. Franco does now. This is Franco being like a regular movie actor. Like that was this period. Uh-huh. Have you okay. seen First Night? Yes. How's that? Really fucking bad. <laughs> but you should watch it. You should definitely yeah, watch it. Yeah, I might. I really don't like Richard Gere, so I'd like to watch him not be in a good movie. <laughs> cool. Uh, anyways, um, he said that darkness was inspired by the satanic figure from Fantasia in the Night on Bald Mountain. It looks uh, identical. Yeah. <laughs> yep. I, I know. I read that one. I, like, I was like, I had made that connection, but yeah, that looks. Which is pretty cool that they like brought that cartoon to uh, a costume. Um, yeah. Mm-hmm. Was, yeah. The forest set burned down three weeks before the end of shooting. Uh, it was at Pinewood God. Studios in London. I know. I was going to guess Pinewood. It looked okay. Yeah. It said it seems that like uh, Pinewood. Scott said that he went out and played tennis to calm down after he got the news, which was something he did. As a, he said it was like it had a, a calming effect, like a Zen kind of thing. Uh, and then extra ironic. Uh, I saw that, uh, well, I guess not extra ironic, just ironic, uh, was that he had chosen not to film in Yosemite National Park uh, earlier on in production uh, because he didn't know how he would be able to control the environment. And so then he mm-hmm. was, you know, losing his entire set in a fire. Uh, just goes to show you. <laughs> but it would it would not have looked like that at all no. if it was shot on the like in an actual forest. Yeah, it would have had a very different feel. Um, but however, however, the the unicorn stuff was again shot outdoors yeah and it looked and it does look pretty close to identical Mm -hmm. to the rest of the footage so i think i don't know had they shot outside they wouldn't have been able to do like the constant glitter and bubbles and stuff like like they may have never like found they never like you're saying they maybe have would never have even found the aesthetic possibly yeah and and the sunlight the sunlight in this movie is like it's very artificial to me like it's very white yeah light but, you know, yeah. I, I think that speaks back to the Midsummer Night's Dream or the, you know, the, the yeah. films that he was inspired by. Um, I like it. I'm just saying I don't think you would get that in or it'd be much harder, I guess. To yeah, get I think the, the biggest advantage they would have had because I loved the sets. You know, I had no complaint with that. Mm-hmm. I think they just would have had an easier time. It wouldn't have felt so cramped like you would have had been able to get some of those establishing shots and um, had a little bit more room for the camera and all that type of mm-hmm. stuff. So, yeah, I, but I just thought that was I read that. In one of the essays I was reading, I was like, damn, wouldn't have had a big fire. Well, probably wouldn't have had a big fire. I guess the park could have burned down. Um, I think it's it's interesting that like Ridley Scott just have like no commercial instincts, whatever, whatsoever. Yeah. Like, because it's like you have Mia Sarah and Tom Cruise in a movie together. And like in his ideal version, they don't end up together. Right. <laughs> They're like, they just are friends. <laughs> And they're not really even in the movie together that much. <laughs> Poor Ridley. But I, that's, uh, that's that's all I got for notes. Um, we could close off the episode by each saying uh, something that the movie taught us about friendship. Uh, to, okay. Ooh, that's it's a, it's a request of our sponsor, the American Friend Institute. Okay. Okay. So, okay. Uh, uh, Andrew, would you like to go first? And what what did this movie teach you about friendship? Um, what it taught me is that um, you you don't have to uh, have sex with each other. Um, you didn't know you, that? <laughs> I, I'm, uh, yeah, I'm learning the hard way. Um, <laughs> Mike. Uh, so yeah, yeah, yeah. I feel like um, 
I feel like that's a really good lesson. Like you can just, you can, what I learned about friendship in this movie is that you can just be friends. Oh, all right. Well, that's very nice. And I think that's very, I think that is very nice. Yeah. Uh, Kit, what did this movie teach you about friendship? Well, I am in a friendship with you two that is heavily based on Tom Cruise. And what I have learned since I had never even heard of Legend. So what Legend has taught me is that we really won't ever run out of Cruise content to discuss. That's right, baby. <laughs> Very true. He's the, he's the gift that keeps on giving. Mm-hmm. It gives it gives us something to live for. It really does. There are whole movies I've never heard of. Movies where he is in shorts the whole time and I didn't know about it. I bet you I bet you haven't even seen like 40% of his movies. I would not take that bet. I will say I recently watched Losing It and uh, I do not recommend that one. It's not very good. I've never even heard of that. Yeah, it's uh, Have you seen Have you seen Taps, Mike? No, I've never seen that one. It's good. He's really good in it. It's his first movie, I think. Oh, really? He's really Yeah, he's really good in it, I think. Taps. I don't yeah, I'll yeah, have to look for that. You should watch Taps. Yeah, it's good. Roll it into one of your triple features. No, thank you. Okay. <laughs> All right. Um <laughs> Well, this movie taught me about friendship that uh, even if your friend does something stupid, like uh, going up to touch a unicorn when they're not supposed to, that uh, you got to stand by them. You got to help them through uh, mm-hmm. through the hard times uh, that they have caused. And uh, if you stick with them, <laughs> then uh, at the end, uh, everything might just work out after all. Because friendship is a powerful uh, force in this world. Yeah, that's what I got. Uh, shall we close out? Let's do it. All right. Thanks for joining us today, everybody. Uh, please join us again next week. Oh, wait, we'll be Mike. Discussing... Mike, yeah. Mike, 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 Mike. Yeah. The viewers got to know, what are we going to watch next week? He was in the middle of saying it. <laughs> <laughs> this, this will be a running bit, uh, just so you know, for the uh, listeners at home. Uh, but yes, uh, thank you for reminding me, Andrew. Uh, next week, we will be watching Interview with the Vampire, starring Tom Cruise. And uh, then the following week, as uh, finishing up the triple feature, I don't even remember if Kit mentioned this earlier, but we're, we're going to be did. watching Eyes Wide Shut. Okay, I, I couldn't remember if we got to Eyes Wide Shut or not. Because we had the whole discussion of whether his hair is long in that movie, because it's not oh, that right, long. Right. Um, yeah, I think so I think be... it is. I think it is long when you consider that Tom Cruise's hair is usually like Shorter. when it's short, it's very short. Like in Taps. <laughs> yeah. Exactly. It's all relative. I'm thinking. That's right. All right. Very cool. Um, But yeah, join us next week. Thanks for listening.